we'll get started. Great. Live from PJH, Girth Radio. Thank you, Joseph, uh, for coming in and visiting my summer lair. And uh, you had the big premiere yesterday. We did, yeah. Yeah, how'd it go? It was great. It was a sold-out uh, show, and it was a really great audience, really engaged audience. So it was pretty exciting. This is the world premiere, right? It was the world premiere, yes. Yeah. And does this mean that uh, mom and dad still getting 25%? <laughs> they got in. I actually gave my mom the wrong ticket, a ticket to the wrong show. Uh, so that was a bit of a that was a bit of a screw up, but <laughs> oh no, mom! <laughs> she got, <laughs> she wasn't too happy about that, but I got her in. So okay. I, was, I was able to sneak one extra ticket. <laughs> okay, yeah, because you got to make it up. I think Mom's Day is coming up. In yeah, a couple it's, of weeks. it's a good yeah. It was a good way to lead into Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah. So how do you explain uh, the story? Because it starts off kind of becoming about the house, but then also becomes a little bit about the owner of the house. So is this like? Is this a documentary about a house or a person inside the house or how do you explain what this is? Well, it's, I would say that it's a, it's both an architecture documentary and a biography. And, um, but the two are, the two are inextricably linked because the home was commissioned for the purposes of being a concert hall by Jim, who's the owner. And, uh, the concert, his ability to con- uh, con- construct such an amazing house came through his incredible background in calculus, which made him a multimillionaire. Yeah, that's weird, wasn't it? Yeah. I guess like that's your ticket to get fame. Well, I mean, you know, when you think of how much a calculus or any kind of university textbook costs, like, yeah. like 150 bucks. Yeah. And he makes up 95% of the market in the entire world. So you think of how many textbooks are sold every year on, the, guess, yeah. on the entire world in calculus. So it's quite a, quite a huge number. So, um, he really did dominate the world in that, uh, in that area. And would you consider this like uh, a Toronto story, a Canadian story, or like where does it kind of fit in? Because there are these elements obviously in it. Yeah, I think, you know, it is, I mean, it's, I don't think it's anything that's directly related to, say, a country or a culture so much. It could be in, it could be happening in Europe, it could be happening in, in the States or something like that. It's more of a human story, I guess. It's about a confrontation between life and death and the, the kind of digestion of the, that idea. Kind of, it's about passion, about following your dreams. It's really about kind of the, the sacrifices we make, you know, and the things that we, the things that we get and the gains that we get out of making those sacrifices. Did that kind of mirror a little bit of what you do with filmmaking as well? Because it's like, there is a sacrifice because you do have long days and hours making a film and then the editing room is just another longer process. Is that kind of, did that kind of inspire you as well in terms of your filmmaking? Well, it was great to see somebody, you know, you do get kind of some degree of validation that what you're doing isn't without its you know, due course. So it does take, you see that things that, um, you know, become really great products at the end require a huge investment up front. So, you know, it took the first book, it took seven years writing 364 days a year for 14 hours a day. Yeah. That's, that was staggering. So, you know, that was the first book that launched it all. So, you know, when you see that, you realize that, you know, long days really aren't that big of a deal, but this film took five years. So that, is half a decade is a commitment. Yeah. When you first visited the uh, Integral House, what was like the first thing that kind of stood out to you or what kind of made you like your spire sense tingle? I think it's just, it's, it's unbelievably beautiful. It's just, it's shockingly beautiful. You just, it, it stops you in your tracks when you see it. So, you know, I had seen it on the street before going by, biking by, and I kind of heard about it. But when you get up close to it, it is just so unreal. It's so unlike anything you've ever seen before. It's just kind of like, it's kind of like something out of a fantasy novel almost. It doesn't have 
any relationship to other houses or residential structures that we would really ever know. So I think that is really powerful. And I think once you see it, you really get gr gripped by it. So I think any, anybody, not even you, you don't care about architecture. When you look at it, you're kind of like, oh, holy shit. Like, what, what is that? You know? Yeah, it totally stands out because yeah. it's like there's nothing like that. Yeah. Right? Most people just have like a living room and a bedroom, mm -hmm. like your stereotypical house. And that's or, all how we've been raised and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you see something like this, you're like, where did this come from? Yeah. Even if they are mansions, you know, like so many people in Toronto, Toronto's such a conservative city when it comes to style and design. And like, you know, you look at a lot of these mansions and like Drake is building this or Sats kind of like chateau looking mansion and the bridal path, which is the most boring, boring thing you could ever build. Right. And then there's integral house, which is most shocking and un, un, unlike anything else kind of home. It's like, Kind of like when Toronto City Hall was built. It was kind of like a spaceship had landed yeah. in the middle of downtown Toronto. You know, Integral House is like that spaceship that kind of like plunked down in the middle of Rosedale. And um, so it was kind of a, an interesting, you know, interesting piece. Why do you think that is like that we are conservative in terms of our architecture or just not willing to take those kind of risks? Well... I don't. I mean, as a country, our culture is much newer. I think there's a lot of a lot of the country is kind of still in this mentality of I don't. know, It's hard to say actually. I mean, I would hate to use the word word provincial to describe the mentality because there's so many amazing designers and creators in in Canada, and it's a an really incredible environment. But I think also like America is so big and brash, they make really bold choices and big decisions and they really advance a lot of design ideas and design thinking. But then America is also a highly problematic country in the way it constructs its value systems and also social value, but also monetary value and things like that. So, I mean, there's a degree of conservatism where it's not as, it's not as bold, but it's also not as desperate between the, the best and the worst. Uh, so it's kind of a bit of a trade-off, I would, I guess. Does that apply also to like the the landscape and the flowers and the gardens and stuff? Because that's a bit of your background as well. Yeah. Are we kind of conservative or? Yeah, it's the same thing. Like as in landscape architecture, although now you see more and more that, um, how we're really doing some bold kind of designs. Like you look in the waterfront in Toronto, and there's some really bold designs. And the thing with design too, you, not everybody has to like it. You know, it's like not everybody's gonna like anything, but that's every, not how it works. Yeah, now. <laughs> but it's but it's about it's about challenging, it's about thinking, it's about engaging, and really showing people that there is more to it than just the basic rudimentary kind of uh, applications. And so, yes, Toronto is 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 also conservative in landscape architecture, but again, those things are are being broken down every year that passes. And places like Integral House and the landscape architecture on the waterfront in Toronto and some of the great parks that are being built in Toronto are partly the partly responsible for breaking down that conservatism. Also thinking of uh, the High Line in uh, New York City, yeah. that's a great like above ground park, I guess that's yeah. what's considered. Yeah, like, it's a linear above ground park. There's a fancy pants term. Yeah. <laughs> <You're laughs> this is your department, but yeah. I just like I just wander around like a like a lost hobo but and I'm like this place looks great. But it's amazing. But that was the piece that really put landscape architecture on the map where people were like, oh this is what landscape architecture is. And like, oh well this is amazing. And that project really launched the uh, launched landscape architecture into a whole different stratosphere uh when that opened and i was interesting i was working i worked in uh, new york city for ken smith landscape architect and um we worked on a project with Pete Udolf, who did the planting design for the High Line, which all the, designed all the gardens and all the plants up there. It's really beautiful. If nobody's like, if somebody hasn't gone, like you really need to check it out. It's incredible, and it's like even just to look at photos of it. But 
um, you know, when you work with artists like that, and Pete Rudolph was the most generous and, you know, gracious, uh, humble person. And, uh, you know, it's not really a profession that's known for that. So you work with people like that and you really begin to see how things can build into bigger ideas and you build bigger communities around those ways of thinking or those, um, kind of those sorts of projects. So well, working with Pete was a really eye opening experience as well. That echoes what kind of like Jim's work with the Integral House, mm -hmm. right? Jim Stewart's house. Because it was like he wanted to build this community and there was all these fundraisers and all these music events and things like that. And so he was able to just basically create this hub where he could draw all these different people to him. And you kind of touch upon that in the documentary. Yeah. I mean, Jim um, built the house to host concerts basically for himself and his friends. He was uh, played in the symphony orchestra in Hamilton, uh, where he taught at McMaster University. He was also the concert master of the symphony orchestra for McMaster. So really deeply engaged in the music world. But what happened was he started holding concerts. And then people were like, you know what would be great is if we could hold a concert here and raise money for the Hamilton Symphony Orchestra, for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. So they started doing that. And then people would sell they'd sell tickets. And people would come like, oh, my God, this house is amazing. Like, could we do this event there? And so it just kind of ballooned into this completely unexpected sort of um, uh, thing for Jim. So he was kind of like the accidental impresario. impresario. And, uh, and so it really um, became very quickly a hub in Toronto for cultural um, fundraising and humanitarian fundraising as well. Did the house also have some, like you mentioned before, like the sheriff, like did it have a share of critics as well? Where people were yeah, like, I mean, this like, is the ugliest thing I've ever seen? Or People thought it was really over the top and overwrought. Like, why, why would you put so much time and effort into these details? And But I mean, it's like anything, there's always going to be a critic, right? So there's nothing will ever be... Like, there's people that don't like, you know, like, not everybody likes the Mona Lisa, you know, not everybody likes Jackson Pollock's work, not everybody loves every Kubrick film that was ever made, you know, so, and not every Kubrick made film that was made was excellent, you know what I mean? So, there, it's a very kind of like open-ended situation, it's, it's more like how do you respond to something than what does it actually, what is it actually, you know? And in terms of uh, Jim's vision, like, do you feel like he fulfilled the vision, like, I forgot the timeline, but he worked on this house for years with the yeah. architects and like well, the, sketch to sketch. And then even as they were building, they were talking about revising it. Like, do you feel, feel he fulfilled the vision that what he finally saw in his head or? Yeah, he was completely, he loved it so much. He was just like, that was it. Like he couldn't, he was so happy for having done it. And it was like, he hired um, Larry Richards, who was the Dean of Architecture at the University of Toronto to create a um, design brief to show to architects and that would just basically outline this is what I want out of the house I want a concert hall I want to use curves I want blue glass I want whatever right so that process began in 1999-98 and the house was completed in 2009 so the whole process the whole journey from beginning to end was a decade wow Jim never ever refers to it as like a home he always refers to it as just a house mm-hmm did he ever feel like, did he ever refer to it as like a proper home? Because it never looked like it was lived in. It was always very immaculate, especially the way you shot it. It was always like, it felt more like, more kind of like Roy Thompson Hall, like more the symphony kind yeah. of end than the actual home well, it home. Was, yeah, it was very, I mean, Jim was such an absolute pragmatic minimalist. It was yes or no, good or bad. Like, I don't need, why do I need all this extra furniture? Like, I'm one guy, like how many how much stuff do i need yeah so it's like there's two couches and two chairs in the living room 
there's like a couch and like two chairs in the in the seating room there's like one dining room table you know it's like super minimal but also he really wanted the 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 that was all about the house the house was what you were it was like a piece of sculpture that you would live in and jim loved that about it whereas some people would find that a bit austere jim thought it was actually a really like great uh great showpiece and he spent almost every day of his life writing so he had to study an office down on the 400 level um, down very close to the ravine level, which was tucked away and kind of like cocooned in this office where he would write all day. In terms of the the light, because you had all those fins, there was all these fins on the window to affect the light and bring light into the room. And as a filmmaker too, you're all you're always concerned about light as well. Did that kind of did your relationship to light change? I know that's a bit of a weird question. Yeah, no, that's a it's that's an absolutely pertinent question. I mean, the film was shot in thirty five millimeter because of the quality of light in the space. So the architects used light as a way to convey or a medium of space. So how light would illuminate certain parts of the house at certain times of the day or the year versus other parts of the house day and year. Um, so it was used to as a medium, right? And so we thought, well, what better way to understand light and use light as a character in the film, just like the architecture as a character, and just like Jim as a character, than by by using a thirty-five millimeter. And so once you go through the process of shooting um, on celluloid, you really understand light in a completely different way, and you just have a much richer understanding of how it works and you just see everything completely differently and like i was a photographer shot on film all the time but moving image on film was is such a different thing as well unfortunately jim passed away as you were uh, working on the film i guess that's not a spoiler alert right no that's fine that's <laughs> yeah. fine yeah yeah i'm pretty much everybody knows so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so jim passed away that how did that change then the scope of the the film because i think i guess initially your idea was just kind of shoot the house right just yeah. kind of document this process of the house but then this character, your main character, well, your other main character, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Passes well, that's great. away. That, the house has this kind of certain degree of, uh, of, of a kind of like immortality, I guess. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it changed. I mean, it started off as a short architecture documentary. Then we kind of got to know who Jim was through asking, talking to him about the house and whatnot and realized he was a phenomenally fascinating and interesting, important Canadian, let alone individual. And, um, so then we're like, okay, well, then it expanded from, say, maybe a 15-minute doc to like a half hour that we thought, oh, maybe we can do a, like a TV half hour or something, a short doc. And then when Jim got sick, we realized that this was a really important story that really needed to be told. And also, as in terms of storytelling, it just became a very powerful story to have that kind of that kind of um, transition in the middle of the, of the story like that is mm-hmm. it's a powerful storytelling situation so we thought this was and i said to jim it's like you know do you want to keep going do you not want to keep going like what do you want to do he's like no we absolutely need to keep going i was like well i've got to tell you like this will really make this film incredibly powerful because this is like your classic plot twist and he's like well if anything good can come out of this and that's great so he was an incredibly pragmatic individual in that respect yeah like what we were saying like when you first came in like you you had that really nice kind of scene where it kind of fades to white mm-hmm. right and then yeah. it's kind of like that's then jim's kind of gone after that yeah what is the fate of the house now now that jim's gone because obviously like so the house was purchased by a guy named mark matt matchin who um is a british guy uh and his wife is actually a canadian who's a trained architect 
And they absolutely love Integral House. And they bought it to preserve it, to respect it, and to continue not only the kind of the respect of Integral House as a piece of architecture, but also the programmatic elements of Integral House. So they will be continuing to have the house open to the public for not open to the public necessarily, but holding fundraising benefits there. So if you really wanted to see it, you know, buy a ticket to support a, a certain charity or whatever might be happening there. And you would be able to go in. And most people who build houses like this or buy houses like this, the, the first thing they want to do is put a big gate up across the end of the driveway, build a wall around it. Have Nobody can see it. Nobody can come up to it. We do that with Banksy. So. Yeah, right. And now here we have somebody that's doing the exact opposite, saying, come on in. This is for everybody. This should be for the benefit of the community. This should be the be for the benefit of individuals. So it's really amazing to see that. And in fact, you know, the owners even bought all the contents of the house. So as an architectural piece, because Shim Sutcliffe Architects actually designed the furniture, some of the furniture for the house. So all the pieces they designed for the house are still there. Um, and those that, those that were curated to be in the house are still there. So this idea of completeness is really interesting. And it's fascinating to see that that's going to continue as well as, as that entirety of a vision. And what are you hoping with the dock after uh, Hot Docs is wrapped up? Well, we were really lucky. We actually just announced today that we sold the film for nice. Canadian distribution. High so five. That was pretty good. Yeah. Very happy about that. So Blue Ice Films picked it up. So we're hoping to do, um, you know, like the classic like VOD video on demand and stuff like that, which is really where the market is going for for films now is more and more people are streaming content online and things like that also makes it more accessible a film like this is very kind of specific in a lot of ways so it may not go to a lot of towns like theaters and smaller towns and things like that whereas vod allows that to really reach a much broader audience which is fantastic and then um you know festivals across the country and then you know like select release and like you know five big vancouver montreal toronto um i know uh, hot doc cinema wants to actually do a screening uh, run at their theater in toronto after the festival it makes sense because we were talking at the top like is this a canadian doc is this a toronto doc yeah it um, is it is in so many ways and it isn't so it's good it's great it really it, the thing with this film really speaks to so many different angles it's classical music it's architecture it's biography it's toronto it's canada it's like it's a it's a human interest story it's not just a you know a jim stewart narrative it's you know there's so many ways of looking at what this could be so i think that's a really great benefit and um of of the, that f subject so and the thing too is we also we're not cranking out those heritage moments commercials anymore no, right no, yeah. <laughs> so this is like to capture people like jim stewart like this is kind of like the best way to do it now right yeah because there are a lot of canadians who do some really cool stuff or unusual know, stuff we and we don't nothing about right yeah and I think there's we as Canadians we need to be more more proud of our of our communities and our culture and our heritage and really like uh, and really understand what the deep value of that is and what that breeds in so many ways that are not literal or in your everyday life but are the fabric and the thread of how the society kind of operates as a whole how we as a society how we might vote it on certain things or things we might fight for or things we might fight against. You know, those are the kind of the very subtle things that happen every day that, you know, I think is, are kind of ingrained in the country. And I think it's really great to bring those people that are kind of championing a lot of those, those movements and, and those things forward. So I think that's really important. Did a lot of that perspective you just talked about, did that come from just living in New York City and then just like having that distance away from Canada so you can get that perspective and then yeah, you I mean, can kind of better appreciate stories like Jim Stewart's? Yeah, I mean, I was always interested in stories. I really gained an appreciation for the culture of this country. I lived in Australia and spent a lot of time in, in 
in uh in in Italy and then many years in New York City and obviously New York being one of the most liberal of cities in in the United States and even there seeing the the deeply segregated culture and institutionalized racism that was much deeper and institutionalized homophobia that was much much deeper and much more ingrained than it was here it made me wake up to how good things were kind of going back to that earlier statement things may not be at the best of the best like they can be in america but it was certainly far better than the worst of the worst in america the poverty and the racism and and just completely built into the system into the psyche of the country so i gained a deep deep appreciation um for for canada uh and when i came back it was just such a um it was just such i just felt so happy to be back and have been able to create something i never would have been able to create in new york the culture wouldn't have allowed it the the way that the structure the, the nafta a visa that i had when i was living there wouldn't have allowed it like you know coming back home allowed me to change my entire career and what is the next step for your career what is the next uh, well, project so, or like I'm or you working, just want to break now yeah no <laughs> oh my god i'm not a person i'm like a, i'm a teacher i teach at the halliburton school of art and design drawing philosophy of drawing poetics of space and i'm a landscape i'm a landscape designer and i run my own design practice documentary filmmaker i'm a writer So I'm definitely not one to take a break. <laughs> so I'm currently working on three different documentaries, uh just kind of in the proposal stage about immigration and food and how uh, how immigration changes food and cultures and uh, where they go to how the cultures impact their food. And uh you know, other kind of design documentaries and landscape architecture and my own practice and There's a lot going on. That was a very <laughs> rambling answer. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> There's a lot going on yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least you got it all straight, though. Yeah. Right? Hopefully. <laughs> okay. So you have one more screening up at Hot Docs, and like you said, then uh, Integral Man will be out. Uh, like we'll probably do a run at the Bloor, and also video on demand, right? Yeah, and festivals across the country, and, and theaters across the country. Hopefully. Great, and people can check it out at hotdocs.ca, uh, and uh, all the information is there, as well as I think your. What's the website for the? Uh, it's designland.ca, and we right now we we haven't updated anything because we just uh, found out that we just confirmed the sale of the film, so we'll keep it updated as to what's going on, where it's going to go, and screen, and when it's going to be released. All right, thank you, Joseph, for coming in and thank hanging out much. and like uh, sharing like the backstory of one of Canada's like coolest stories and coolest houses yeah great thank you i so, enjoyed it do you think you can get me in yeah <laughs> we'll go and we'll have some we'll have some wine only white wine though no red wine is allowed okay <laughs> that makes sense no all coffee right. no coke no red wine <laughs> all right we can do that then yeah. yeah sneak me in through the back door yeah we're yeah. good to go <laughs> thank you thank you very much